You're listening to Malka Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. So, legal talk and alhamdulillah, this evening, uh, our favorite uh, senior attorney, Ashraf Isuf, uh, joins us. Uh, Ashraf and, and the listeners, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And how are you doing this uh, beautiful evening, Ashraf? Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Very well, Shafat. I hope the same for you. And I know it's hard. I know it's uh, not the same for many, many people around the world. But uh, we have to give thanks to Allah for the bounty that He's given us and the ni'mah in so many different ways. Uh, Especially now that uh, we're witnessing the terrible, terrible tragedy unfolding in Gaza. Uh, Of course, this is one of the tragedies, not the only one. But right now it is the one that is uh, foremost in our minds because, you know, the images are just so, so terrible. And the pain we feel is, is you know, you cannot, uh, you cannot, you cannot put it to rest. It, it is there, it haunts you. Um, I remember two Jumas ago, when there was this uh, threat by Netanyahu to, you know, uh, uh, reduce Gaza to a rubble. And I remembered in the Juma, I was wondering, I wonder what's, um, what's going to happen to those poor people there. I mean, you know, this is like one of the, I think it's the third mightiest army in the world um, uh, uh, fighting. Um, it's like the South African government fighting Alexandra Township. I mean, that's basically um, what you can compare it to. You know, when he said he's going to turn it to rubble, that was on 7th of October, you know. And uh, giving them no option says leave, but leave to where? You can't go anywhere. He also said in uh, very openly that they will take a mighty revenge um, and they will target all Hamas positions and then promising to turn Gaza into a deserted island. Um, and they, you know, saying that every corner of Gaza will be uh, will be targeted. Yeah, that's uh, that's how we feel at present, and um, that's why we give thanks for our extra blessings. Um, that you're not, as we're sitting here and speaking, subject to an aerial bombardment or a drone um, just killing you or your neighbors, or somebody you know. So I say with all sincerity that we have to thank Allah for the blessings we enjoy today. Shifa. 
No, absolutely. Kiskis Neviti, Abdi Rabki, Jitlauge, Fabi A. Alai, Rabbi Kumat, Kaziban. You know, Ashraf, whilst you're talking, I can, uh, you know, sense the empathy, the sympathy. And in my case, it's, uh, you know, as a journalist, I'm uh, dealing with these issues every day. And Alhamdulillah, thank Allah that we give the alternative view. And, uh, you know, people are making it easy for us as Dunya Bad when we look at social media. Uh, the truth is coming out. And for the first time in history, uh, you know, the Zionists uh, are amazed at algorithms going in favor of uh, the Palestinians. Even the computer, the bits and bytes are being uh, controlled by divine decree and turning the tides uh, towards the uh, Palestinians. But I couldn't help uh, thinking uh, deeply, Ashraf, about you when uh, this, uh, you know, this uh, genocide uh, was uh, trebled or quadrupled and, you know, uh, they went hell to skelter. And by the very fact that the U.S. and the U.K., are hell-bent on uh, supporting Israel in this uh, genocide and perhaps usher in a third world war. It reminds me uh, of the monetary system or the type of system they've got is on the brink uh, brink of bankruptcy. They're owing, uh, America's owing, uh, you know, owing trillions and trillions of dollars. It's in debt. And so far, now they have the perfect ally in Israel to usher in uh, this third world war so that they can, you know, restart from fresh. I don't know what they will restart with, but am I thinking a bit too deep, uh, Ashraf? What's your thoughts? So, Shafat, I think you've identified a very important topic there, and uh, that is the power of money. Now, let's just take the American debt situation. If you stand on Times Square and you look at the ticker tape, uh, the amount of debt that they incur per head per capita is an astronomical figure, which Joseph Stiglitz, the ex-World Bank official, said if they had to pay it at a million dollars a minute, it would take 560 years. On the other hand, you have the American system that basically controls the printing press. Here you can look at the ex-governor of the uh, Federal Reserve, Alan Greenspan, who simply spoke the truth when he said, we have the printing press. Now, you move from the physical denomination of dollars being the reserve currency of the world, no less helped in 1945 by uh, the uh, uh, relationship between the Saudi king and uh, I think it was Eisenhower when they decided that, look, You can do whatever you want, as long as you sell your oil in dollars. And the Saudis said, yes, we can do anything you want as long as you protect us from any kind of upheaval, internally or externally. Now, you obviously know, given the deep background of previous discussions, that the Central Bank of England, which is it's the equivalent of the Reserve Bank, was the first privately owned central bank in the world around the 1600s. And they came into being because they decided to give a loan to one of the kings to fight a battle. And um, we've spoken about this, where we covered that the city of London in which the Central Bank of England resides is almost private, privately owned property, the one square mile. I mean, it is, in some accounts, even the royal family needs permission to enter there. So at the end of the day, what are we talking about? The immense 
uh, weight of a fiat currency, a paper currency. The tragedy is not that what will replace it, Shafat, is that we all bought into it. I mean, it is so clearly marked with riba, and this is a classical example of why Allah subhanahu wa outlawed it. Because you can't make money from money. You make money from trade. And they have two separate rules. But here you have a universal wrong that was prohibited for all people, Jew, Christian, and Muslim. And yet today, almost every transaction, physical or otherwise, digital or otherwise, is controlled through the same banking system. Just imagine for a moment all the aid that people have collected. I, I know here in Johannesburg, uh, the World Memon Organization, uh, really a, a sterling task in collecting about 3.5 million in a few days. But where does it go and how does it reach the people? Doesn't it go through a banking system? Doesn't it reach uh, the, uh, the recipients through a banking system? Don't we then buy, whether it's food, medicine, or even water, as we know, or even generators, um, through the same means and the economy and the exchange? So that, for me, Shafat, is the tragedy. In answering your question is, you know, some people say, oh, my God, look at this. BRICS is going to come and save us all and create an alternative banking system to that of the U.S. I mean, is that really so? Um, the euro didn't change much. You know, we thought the euro would be a uh, would be different to the dollar. It's the same, same banking system. Just imagine the word banking and Islam cannot be in the same line. Um, and that's why we have to have a real deep and serious think about why in the face of such difficulties, such slaughter, such a humiliation, you know, that we are unable to do anything, you know, barring posting a few WhatsApp videos from um, Muslims and non-Muslims alike, including a number of Jews, about why this whole thing is so wrong. But Shafat, public opinion doesn't change anything, as you know. I mean, people have marched by the millions around the world cannot say that that has stopped one single bomb, one single uh, bullet from flying into the Palestinians. Um, so it is, when you look at this state of impunity, that you wonder, what exactly can one do? Now, we are against suicide bombing. This is completely out of the deen. We are against all forms of harm to women and children, as, as a lot of the hostages have now testified that they were not harmed by their captors. I mean, I think that's a great lesson. But we need to seriously take charge of our own knowledge and find out what exactly are we able to do or should be doing. And uh, I think that's going to be a very important concern. Uh, consideration going forward. 
You know, Ashraf, you make a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, whilst you're talking to me, my hairs are standing on end because I'm looking at the whole scenario. You know, we're captured by these Riva system, these shaitans of this world. They know exactly, you know what, no matter what you do, you pray, but we got you under control. We got your, look at your leadership. They can't even make a, you got your so-called Muslim leadership, uh, Muslim countries around uh, that area they can't do anything can't make a move and in the meantime you know uh, brothers and sisters and babies are getting uh, you know murdered and uh, brutalized and so forth and uh, look look at what's uh, going on uh, social media and we're getting uh, advice from uh, perhaps uh, the social influencers and uh, sometimes uh, some people of the cloth saying yeah you must get ready for uh, the media war and you must know how to answer these people and and you know and give your answer but uh, the bottom line is uh, the Muslims are looked upon as toothless and spineless. That they can't make a move. Look at the leadership. Uh, I think uh, the late Benazir uh, Bhutto, this is what she said. She said, you know, the West, uh, America doesn't care about you. They care about, uh, you know, what they want. they in your area to get, uh, you know, a certain value out of it. You know, in Africa, they want the gold, the diamond, uh, the platinum, and uh, the lithium, and whatever they can get, they get their hands on that. And uh, the, this is the Britain and uh, the West. We can talk about, uh, talk about UK, uh, Kashmir issue. They like that issue. It has to be there. So the military might, so the military can rule. And this is what America likes, a military might, military rule. You can see what they have done in Pakistan, how they've captured the Pakistani military and what they have done to Imran Khan. And you move around the world, they have already, you know, the bases around the world. So with the military might, uh, they're using dirty money to do dirty things and uh, keeping uh, this uh, Riva system afloat. And the people in paranoia, because they know something that you know, Ashraf, and uh, that, uh, you know, very few of our people know that uh, we are captured by evil. And then evil uh, will do whatever they can do with us. What's your take on a weak and a toothless and a spineless uh, Muslim, uh, you know, nation states? Uh, you can't call it an Ummah. It's a nation state. So let's be honest, uh, Ashraf. Your thoughts? So I think, again, Shafat, you've identified a very important component of our discussion. And that is, as you said, nation state. Now, in the word nation, you have to include the word nationalism. I mean, can you imagine how ridiculous we look? We think that the so-called Muslim leaders or nations must make some kind of noise. And that uh, position is already misplaced. There is no nationalism in Islam. In fact, the tragedy of the whole march and the flag was it was a flag for the for the Palestinians created by the British. I mean, imagine if all these flags disappeared. I'm just giving you a scenario. Just just imagine this. We're talking about nationalism, nations, and leaders. Let's say tomorrow, every single country, so-called Muslim country with a Muslim population, Muslim leadership and to fold up the so-called national flag and replace it with the flag of, I'm just using for argument's sake, uh, uh, the uh, Saudi. Now there it's got the Shahada and it's got a sword. I mean, you can't, you, you, you can't avoid looking at the message. Why a sword under the Shahada? Now, Imagine if that flag was to become the single dominant flag 
for every Muslim country. The second is, imagine the same Saudi regime saying to Muslims all over the world, we will give you a second passport. Your first one will be your home country. Your second one will be a Saudi passport. Which means, you know, passport was created um, about uh, 150 years ago. It was a, a pass to port of, uh, to, to, it was a pass given to a bearer to pass a port of entry so that you could enter into the so-called sovereign space of another nation. Um, and imagine if that freedom of movement was granted to the Muslims all over. What do you think will happen just with those two actions, Shafat? Is it not that people will have the freedom of going and trading and moving about freely mm -hmm. and, and addressing these issues and it will not, will it not dilute the so-called mindset that we have of nationalism that says I'm Turkish, you Pakistani, I'm South African, you Indonesian, you Jordanian, you Kuwaiti, Iraqi. I mean, what a laughable state of affairs. So, if you do two simple things that, that one could even consider, you, you don't even have to do it. Just allow yourself the luxury of thinking about the possibility and what it would bring. I'm certain that you would have a lot more people moving about and cooperating with each other. But no, it can't happen because the Saudis and none of the Gulf countries ever give citizenship to a non-Emirati or Saudi or, or, you know, whatever they call themselves nationally. So you can see that each one of us are afflicted by not just the monetary system, but by the idea of um, this is not our war or this is not our fight or this is what I can do or can't do. Um, because uh, my nation state is not under attack. Um, you know, and, and if it is under attack, let's say the war gets wider and let's say only the Egyptians are involved. Well, then it's Israel versus Egypt to the exclusion of everyone else. So you, you see what I'm saying, Shabbat? Here we have a monetary system that dominates every aspect of our livelihood. Then we have a mental block to a much bigger picture because we see ourselves as nationalists. And then we have that trickle down into, well, this army has got that and that army has got that, but it's only used for our national defense. So if there was an incursion, then you'll scramble your air force, then let alone the fact that you're three decades behind the latest equipment given to um, the Israelis by the US. I mean, you could never win that war. But can you imagine, you, you see what I'm, what I'm pointing to, Shafat, is, is this yes. never-ending never, never concentric circles of ridiculous um, uh, situations where we just can't seem to find the end of it. Now, the answer is there and it's glaring, but I think we, we're lacking focus, education, will, and definitely a 
lack of belief in Islam in its totality. I mean, we take aspects of it. We, we do cherry pick, you know, and uh, and I think that's basically part of our present, uh, well, not just present, I think past, present and future uh, illness. You know, Ashraf, uh, the point uh, that you made, yeah, they, most of these Arab re- regimes, I mean, you, you talk about uh, Saudi Arabia uh, spent uh, billions and billions of uh, dollars acquiring obsolete armaments, uh, obsolete equipment, uh, as you said, the three, four, maybe 40 years uh, behind uh, time. And uh, when they come to them, uh, they don't even know how to fly. They don't even know how to use it. So they have to hire the same people that sold it to them, the entire, you know, security around uh, the uh, uh, in, in the Haramein. I mean, if you look at, uh, you know, you do your Hajj bookings, Ashraf. I believe it's a Hindu company that does all your bookings and uh, monitors your Hajj taking or the Umrah and all that. But this, uh, these are the people they give uh, uh, the business to. And then you look at your security. It is believed that American and uh, uh, the Zionist uh, Israeli uh, companies are heavily uh, uh, you know, involved in uh, the security of Saudi Arabia. So if they're talking, you know, we do this, and they know they can't make a move because everything that they do is under surveillance and uh, documented. The same with the, you know, the Abrahamic Accord. What is so Abrahamic about that when you, you know, they tell the, the Palestinians, or even they may be telling the Muslims under the breath, you're not even worth our, uh, you know, uh, our, our nail clipping, our fingernail clipping. You are, you know, animals. You're not human beings. I mean, uh, uh, words like this, get away without punishment. And then you look at the United Nations and you look at the world, who they're backing. I mean, there is a big polarization and, uh, you know, very selective selective and who they punish and who they don't punish. And, uh, you know, if you look at Ukraine, the farcical story of Ukraine, Ukraine can do anything and, uh, you know, they will get away or they even could send drones into uh, to go and assassinate uh, Putin. They were applauded by the West and uh, so forth. How do you, you know, talk about or how do you decipher these uh, double standards of the West and, uh, you know, the distinct um, dislike for the Palestinians or maybe the Arabs or the Muslims? How do you work out on this uh, scenario, Ashraf? And you know, and we look at this uh, at, at uh, you know, at our topic that we're going to cause war crimes in Gaza and international perspective. I want you to bring that into a light, Ashraf, as we uh, move on. So, Shafat, I think, uh, you know, the Independent in England or London had a very nice front page. And it says, Middle East, who backs immediate ceasefire? On the left-hand side, they had yes. And on the right-hand side, they had no. I think it's easier for me to read who said no. It was Israel, the U.S. and the U.K. <laughs> so, we, you know, when we say the whole world is backing them, um, I think we need to be careful. There's a lot of people against it. The question is, what do you do about it? You see, we've already established that marching and singing and baking cakes doesn't help. We do this to assuage our own sense of pity. Like, what do we do? I'm not saying any of that is wrong. I'm saying people are caught up in a situation of knowing, not knowing what to do. So basically, as lawyers, we can only talk to what international law provides, which which we hope 
is is the um, yardstick by which actions are measured or not measured. You were aware that in South Africa there was an action, an application of various kinds over the years for the arrest of sitting heads of state. And um, the Muslim Lawyers Association were very, very busy with, with all of that. Um, the last one being uh, for Modi. Now, you remember there was a deputy minister in the Israeli cabinet called Livni. I think she was deputy prime minister at some stage. Such an action bore results because Livni didn't dare then come to South Africa and risk arrest. Against this single action, let's look at what the international terrain looks like. Now, let's just focus for now on Gaza, right? So on the 20th of October uh, this year, the special rapporteur said that they were sounding an alarm in Gaza. They said that there was an ongoing results in crime against humanity. Considering the statements that were made by Israeli political leaders and the allies, together with the military action in Gaza, and the escalation of killings and arrests in the West Bank. So remember, Gaza had already been under siege, uh, and, and, and the West Bank was also a killing field. So the, the United States rapporteur said that there was a risk of genocide. Now, they said there's no justification or exceptions for such crimes. So this is the special uh, rapporteur on that, right? Now, we know that for a number of years, there was a total blockade of electricity, water, food, and supplies and humanitarian access, uh, aid. Um, and that those actions alone were in breach of international human rights law. This was, these things are expressly forbidden under international human rights law. And really it amounts to a crime against humanity. And in terms of Article 7 and 8 of their own statute of the International Criminal Court, otherwise known as the ICC, is a crime against humanity and a war crime. Now remember, the only other crime against humanity was apartheid. And in many respects, the uh, equivalent has been drawn between how apartheid was practiced by law in this country and what is happening in the Middle East. The second very important, uh, I would say, consideration is in terms of the Geneva Convention, uh, is the prohibition against collective punishment. And this is absolute. And it says, uh, prohib uh, pro prohibited at any time and in any place whatsoever, whether committed by civilian or military agents. So, so you can see how wide that is. So anyone that commits any kind of, let's say, action, and you cannot collectively punish, um, you know, people because of that. Now, if you take a wider example of collective punishment, you can see since 911, you know, 
They call it Islamophobia and this and that, but it's really collective punishment of the Muslims. You know, whether it's your scarf or whether it's your this or that. I mean, a guy can walk into a mosque in New Zealand and just mow down people with an automatic weapon, you know. Uh, and I think very few people actually know there was a seven-year-old Palestinian boy who was killed in the U.S. by a 77-year-old landlord. I mean, just for being Muslim uh, and, and obviously Palestinian. So there's an example of the greater collective punishment outside the concentration camp of Gaza as we know it. Article 6 of the Rome Statute defines genocide as any number of acts committed with intent to destroy in whole or in part a national, ethnical, racial or religious group as such. That's Article 6 of genocide. You can decipher that. Now, this is important that when it comes to genocide, and this is where we were talking about some of the efforts made by the MLA, Article 5A of the Rome Statute confers jurisdiction on the International Criminal Court to investigate and prosecute allegations of genocide. Now, in the present dispute, there's a number of examples of war crimes. And I mean, you can take any number of these and, and, and combine them or treat them singly. Torture and inhumane treatment. Another one is severe psychological suffering inflicted on the Palestinians. Every night without electricity, fear of their lives and bombing. Shafat, imagine you were a father or mother. And every single night you would be bombed or you hear the jets or you would see, you know, the tanks or people. I mean, that is severe psychological suffering. Then willfully causing a great suffering and serious injury to body and health. That's another uh, example of what we're calling a war crime. Then the third very, very important one was intentionally using starvation of, of civilians as a method of warfare by depriving them of objects indispensable to their survival. So you, you know that what we need is food, water, and shelter. Those are the three basic necessities of life. So again, uh, emphasis being that you know, these are kinds of things that the international community will basically be looking at in terms of international law to say, um, what, what can we do to stop this? And in terms of the Rome Statute, very important. There is individual criminal responsibility not only to the direct perpetrators of the crime, but those who aid, abet, or otherwise assist in the commission of the crime within the jurisdiction of the ICC. Now, understand that this is very important, and I'm going to come back to South Africans who have left to basically go and have posted social media um, news of the assisting in the Israeli Defense Force. And in terms of, of uh, Article 25.3, sub D, 
of the Rome Statute. Such liabilities extends to natural persons, and this is what they say in inverted commas, who in any way contribute to the commission or attempted commission of an international crime by a group of persons acting with common purpose. I mean, this is a legal definition. You could, you could bring any number of organizations or persons under that category for investigation by the ICC. Uh, sorry, Shafat, just give me a minute, please. Okay, and yes, uh, as uh, you know, Ashraf was uh, giving us uh, many details coming through. And I'm talking about uh, the international crime against humanity, the escalation of killings. And I uh, you know in West Bank, uh, Ashraf said it very eloquently. And uh, sadly, indeed, it is a killing field. And you remember there was a, in Cambodia what they did and what they did in uh, uh, you know all these other players. Vietnam and so forth. That was Americans, but here the American help for the illegitimate state of Israel is uh, causing uh, this mayhem, and uh, they can get away with impunity because they got the back, uh, backing of uh, this uh, Uncle Sam, and so that goes on. And you know the blockade of humanitarian aid, as I should have said, a crime against humanity and a war against uh, humanity. Apartheid Israel, apartheid is a crime, and in the case of South Africa. They, you know, had a choice whether they had two illegitimate children. One was Israel, the other was South Africa, and they chose to sacrifice the latter and to let the former, you know, manifest. And you can see how Israel has manifested into a, uh, you know, something gone wrong. A story. It's not a story. Uh, it's a Frankenstein. It's worse than Frankenstein. I don't know what word how to describe this. Uh, you know, has gone wrong, and indeed. It is a curse to humanity. It's a curse to be called a human being if you are that type of a human being that calls fellow human beings animals, rats, and what and what. Ashraf, I hope are you back, Ashraf? Yeah, sorry about that. Okay, you know, you know, you were on a roll there talking about, you know, it's a deliberate uh, genocide, and you're talking about uh, South Africans uh, that are serving in the IDF. They are complicit uh, to genocide also. Ashraf, go ahead. Yeah, so I think Article uh, 25.3 of the Rome Statute basically is very, very interesting. And, you know, one can see how this will fit in a number of different levels. And this says an individual shall be criminally responsible and held liable for punishments for the crime of genocide. Were they, in inverted commas, direct and publicly incite others to commit genocide? Now, very interesting. The law on aiding and abetting is for, is is uh, is defined and explained uh, by saying encouragement and moral support are two forms of conduct which may lead to criminal responsibility for aiding and abetting a crime. In any case, the contributions to the crime of this encouragement or moral support must always be substantial. There was a case. Um, in the ICC, uh, Furunzija, in the trial chamber, it says, while any spectator can be said to be encouraging a spectacle, an audience being a necessary element of the spectacle, the spectator in these cases was only found to be complicit if his status was such that his present had a significant legitimizing or encouraging effort on the principles. So you can see that even a spectator you, you, you are not uh, uh, 
you are not prosecuted for that. So you can imagine spectator is one watching the television. But if your presence has a significant legitimizing or encouraging effect, well, then you can be personally, criminally liable. So what we're saying is encouragement and moral support can only be um, a form of substantial contribution if the principal perpetrators are aware of it. So, you know, if if you go there and you and you join in and and the principal perpetrators are aware of who and where you came from, uh, then you're part of it. And so many countries are now being taken to task or the leadership is being taken to task based on these principles. You know, I think there's a movement in Australia trying to hold the government uh, liable. Fortunately, in South Africa, the government uh, has made its stance clear that uh, it will not aid and abet such a terrible, terrible slaughter of the uh, Palestinians. Um, you know, Shafat, that there's been investigation after investigation into mm -hmm. uh, Palestine. I mean, for for so many years, Article 152 of the um, Rome Statute, 15 sub 2, eh, says the prosecutor has a very wide power to seek and consider evidence of international criminal activity in the occupied Palestinian territories. And we know that Israel said it won't cooperate with it. Uh, but the investigation has been authorized by the pretrial chamber of 2021. And this is where a lot of the uh, footage basically becomes very, very important because without footage, uh, you, you're going to have a really uh, extended investigation. Think of it as a normal crime here, Shafat. If you are robbed outside the shop and it's your word against the robber, well, you'll have less of a chance to prove that. But if it's independently captured by a closed circuit TV, well, then I think the prosecution and evidence of such an event becomes easier on the prosecution. So I think uh, th those um, images that we see uh, are very important. I mean, you know, you know, just just with regard to uh, cover ups. Now, uh, here's, here's what the first set of um, uh, news reports went out. Yes, there was an incursion from Hamas uh, by Hamas into southern Israel. Um, many people were shot at the festival and so many kibbutzian overrun hostages were taken. And then they added spy students said 40 babies beheaded. Now that was already sufficient to make you lose sympathy for Hamas and enrage you about how such an inhumane act could take place. And was even repeated by head of state Biden. How, when, when that proved to be false, was there no apology for that? But you could see that the disinformation the, this, the, this campaign was, uh, was, already, um, was already set into place. Secondly, you know, who controls what media? Now, oftentimes, and I don't know, I'm, I'm sure you've seen this, you know, we look at these debates and we say, ah, that guy, Piers Morgan, got it. You see what this guy said and what that guy said. And you, you, Shafat, 
why? Mm. Why mm. must we look? Why, why do we want to take comfort in somebody else saying to us, here's your point of view, well done, you've said it like it is. What difference did it make? You know, the genocide did not stop. Nothing is stopping it. And basically, you know, um, you know, it is just it's just shocking. But back to uh, genocide, public incitement to genocide and complicity. Where is state? Let's say the US and the UK. I mean, we know now uh, Sunak basically flew over to Israel, not in a civilian plane. Uh, imagine what message he sent. He stepped off a military plane full of military hardware. Here's a genocide convention that's very important. It says, that not only highlights the imperative of preventing or stopping an on ongoing genocide, but makes it clear that inaction by the state party to a treaty and, you know, the UK and the US are action, uh, including uh, engages in, uh, sorry, let me make it clear. It also makes it clear that inaction by states party to the treaty, including the third states, engages criminal complicity in genocide itself. So you could see that um, the governments or, or, or the spokesperson almost to, to the last one of them, um, ministers in the Israeli cabinet were, were, were making direct threats of genocide. And this is clearly prohibited under Article 3, sub C of the Genocide Convention. So here you have, I think, sufficient moral and legal, uh, let's say, support for uh, for the treatment or, or, or for criminalizing the treatment uh, meted out to the Palestinians. And so each nation state, as, as we spoke about earlier on, we don't have the immediate action required uh, to to overcome all of these things, be it the immense power of the monetary system, or the um, you know the the ba the basic um, uh, you know you know when the horse wears those uh, you know in a, in a horse race when they put those uh, uh, things over the eyebrows. Blink. Yeah, the Correct. blinkers. Yeah. Yeah, blinkers and blinken. You know from. From the US. I mean, we, we can't take our focus off, um, you know, the uh, the effect that nationalism has had on, on so many nations and all of us, in fact. Um, barring those two things, these are some of the things that one must consider in every jurisdiction that once this thing has settled and it will settle, um, what then? Because look, it's been going on for such a such a long time, you know, uh, already in 18, uh, 1890 something, 92, I think, the dream of the Zionist state was born. So it long preceded both world wars. And uh, obviously the Second World War, having visited terrible tragedy on not only the Jewish people, where they were also victims, but also 
gypsies and other people. I mean, the Russians had lost over 20 million. Uh, but the idea of a, a Jewish state uh, for the Jews was already planted. Now, I think it's important to distinguish between Zionism and Judaism, um, because not all Jews are Zionists. There have been a number of Jewish organizations, both locally and abroad, including Jews in uh, Palestine and Israel, who have said, not in my name. Um, some of them did fly the, um, the flag of the Palestinians, and you could see the Israeli security forces moving in and tearing these down. But what was stark was even little Jewish kids that were, were calling the uh, Israeli security forces out and telling them to get out and, you know, really abusing them. The difference in the treatment of those protesters, I can guarantee you if that was done by um, Palestinian children, they probably would have got a bullet in turn. So it is upsetting. It is, it is very, very hard so. I mean, you know, so many willful killings, destruction of property, uh, warplanes destroying homes. I mean, can you imagine warplanes against unarmed civilians? Children, you know what's, what's difficult is that not even babies being slaughtered and mothers crying seem to move hearts. The hearts have become so, so hard. How is it that, that, that we can see this and not be moved, irrespective of who you are, Jew or Gentile or atheist? Or, I, I mean, when you see women and children uh, killed, you know, it's just too much. Um, innocent families now collecting water at, um, uh, you know, at a water point getting bombed by drones. You know, you have to ask yourself, what right are you defending? You have a right to defend what? I mean, it's like saying Russia has a right to defend itself. And uh, or the Nazi, uh, the Nazi party or, or that ruled Germany had a right to defend itself. I mean, it's as, it's as gross as saying that. So... We have to ask ourselves, why is it that, um, you know, one is so emboldened by this position that you say, no, um, I'm not, I'm, you know, you don't have to worry. I'm, I'm not, I'm, uh, I'm not going to be prosecuted for this. There, there, there was something that's, uh, that said, you know, very interestingly, I don't know if this is true or not, but one of the prime ministers of Israel is, I don't know if this was recorded or, you know, factual or not, but it was very worrying. He says, well, don't worry about the United States. We tell them what to do. And now you can see that uh, one of the, I would guess, the last military powers of the world is basically saying that um, we on your side, we will arm you and we will give you whatever you need and more. And uh, if you are going to be fought against, well, uh, we will be there to support you.
Yeah, so I think um, a lot to digest, Shafat. No, absolutely, Ashraf. I know uh, certain points uh, that you made uh, that I took uh, a note of was uh, the arrest of a sitting head of states. And as you spoke about uh, Modi and uh, so forth, uh, these guys, uh, you know, there was this Bashir guy that uh, didn't get arrested in this country, but uh, Modi, uh, you know, ran away uh, at midnight. And uh, then, you know, people like Gaddafi and uh, Saddam Hussein were literally murdered. Uh, Gaddafi himself uh, gave donations to Tony Blair, to his foundation, and even to uh, Clinton and Hillary Clinton. He gave them a lot of money. And I believe even Saddam Hussein gave a lot of money to uh, Rumsfeld and uh, many other Americans. They just out of, uh, you know, he's a good gesture to them. But uh, they murdered and killed them, perhaps uh, sending a message out to other rulers in that area. If you don't comply, this is exactly what we do. But there's a point here that we, uh, you know, we, we have to mention here is that Israel holds uh, the Christian uh, West to ransom by saying that it is your biblical duty to pray for Israel. And uh, maybe this is why that psyche of the West comes in. It's our biblical duty to pray for Israel and to protect Israel. And uh, these are God's chosen people. Uh, maybe that is uh, playing a, a, a major psychological, uh, you know, uh, game in the minds of the uh, the Westerners. What's your thoughts on that, Ashraf? Uh, Shabbat, I, I mean, I, I don't really have a view on that. Um, I've read that the right-wing churches of um, of America are basically saying the following. Um, we want the uh, we want the Armageddon to come on because it will um, hasten the return of the Christ, and once the Christ is here, we will then deal with the people that denied him, and prosecuted him, and persecuted him, and aided and abetting in his killing. So, I, I so can't make sense of of, of these things, but I, I think. Um, in my view, right, religious doctrine does not in itself determine the foreign policy of, um, of uh, some of these states. What I mean by that is I think a lot of it is based on racism. Here's a glaring example. Ukraine, Ukrainian refugees being white are allowed free and unfettered access into Christian states, whereas everyone else, black and brown, are, are restricted. So for me, it's pivotal that racism is taken into the um, into the discussion. The second is the Palestinians are brown, and the Ashkenazi Jew or Strog Zionists are, are white, and we all know that um, the um, Zionist manifesto was created by atheists. I mean, they didn't even believe in God, yet they were so successful in uh, in creating the state. You know, uh, the 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 illusion being that it's uh, for Jews, um, and, and and so so you have religious Jews who are opposed to this state saying that they've, they've gone against God's command because only the Messiah could have now come back and created the nation state for them. So how much of it um, 
you know, how much of the dogma will will influence uh, politics. Um, let's not remove two or three other very, very important considerations. Number one, war is money and uh, rehabilitation or building up is money. So after all these things are destroyed, there'll be a great construction upheaval um, and that's going to bring money. The second is scarce water resources in the Middle East and the and the grab for water. So you could see that's another possibility. There's a third with very overlooked possibility is the direct Israeli canal that will cut through to Gaza into the Mediterranean. So you see on the left, you have the Suez Canal and then now on the right, the new the new way of creating a secondary canal to allow access to the Mediterranean Sea, which on one version that I read, I think this was posted by Ahmed Thompson in London, um, you know, where he said that, look, don't exclude this as a reason for uh, uh, flattening Gaza. So ultimately it could be to take over all of the land, uh, denude the population from there, and then use it for economical reasons. Um, then there's the, 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 the fourth theory that uh, it's not going to stop in Gaza. Uh, and I don't know again how true or accurate this is, but it's been bandied around. Um, but from the Nile to the Euphrates is the promised land. So everything from Egypt to Iraq. Um, I don't know if you saw that clip. There was a Pentagon official who said that there will be six states all torn apart. Um, and now you can basically see five of those six, it's happened. Um, and maybe it's, you know, it's still going to unfold. Because right now, I mean, can you imagine, uh, they used white phosphorus in Gaza City, which means even if it's the, the war stops, uh, the... Um, the, the the fallout continues. Now, you know, these things were banned under the United uh, Nations Conventions on Conventional Weapons. Uh, it's illegal to drop such a kind of uh, incendiary de uh, device on uh, civilians. But we know that Israel has not ratified uh, Protocol 3 of this uh, United Nations Convention. So, you know, you, you can see on all fronts, you know, chemical warfare, smoke, munitions, white phosphorus. Uh, it just goes on and on and on. And, you know, ultimately, what is the end goal? Nobody really realizes or, or can fathom out. Except one thing, I can tell you that many of the Middle Eastern states spend more on military than on any other um, mm. in any other activity. So if you're arming yourself and you're buying all these weapons and doing it, who and what are you uh, preventing yourself from? Internal harm and uh, uprising or external? Externally, they defeated. I mean, let's admit it, the Jews have defeated the Arabs. I mean, you can call it what you want. That is a tragic event. That's what it is, and nobody uh, 
has anything to say about it. Because, I mean, you can see here, even Aksa, was, um, which is supposed to be uh, in the blessed territory, was repeatedly attacked. In 1967, it was nearly burnt down. Uh, there was some semblance of uh, Arab unity, but um, you know, that was quickly dispersed. And then the so-called uh, respect for democracy, well, Hamas, whether you like it or not, was legally elected. Now, if they don't like the legally elected um, the, you know, a government and or, or that party, because look, the Palestinian Authority is basically you know, defunct. Mm. Um, so, so, so basically, you know, they, um, so, so you, you now left with this, uh, this other party, uh, which, which is inclined, uh, as I read, and I am again, not sure, but to the Muslim Brotherhood. Therefore, you know, Egypt will not allow the Muslim Brotherhood to, to ever rise up again. Uh, neither would Jordan. I mean, there was a time when the Jordanians moved against the Muslim Brotherhood and slaughtered them. So you can see there's a whole number of other factors, Shafa, that, that go into the pot and into the mix. What is... Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, Ashraf, uh, I don't know if you... Uh, did you read the book, uh, Elders of the Protocols of Zion? No, I haven't. I heard yeah, about that, it. If you read that book, uh, it's, uh, you know, you spoke about from... Uh, the Euphrates, and they want to go to all these other areas and have a circle around it. It's all mentioned in that book. And, uh, you know, when we read it, they said, no, it's a banned book and it wasn't, uh, it's false and all. But the, uh, uh, my, my, fr my friend had a bookshop and, uh, you know, he says uh, he stocked many of these books and I don't know who took my copy away, but uh, he said these uh, Jews used to come there and clear, his, uh, you know, his uh, shelf out of the books. And then, you know, subsequently they burnt it because they didn't want people to get a hold of that. But exactly what you said there, and as I see the time is uh, running here, uh, one of the points uh, that I wanted to, uh, you know, ask you was the International Criminal Court is, uh, you know, Israel and the U.S. Uh, signatories uh, to the ICC, uh, Ashraf? So the way I understand it, whether you're a signatory or not to the, so, so it's not the, the, the ICC, it's the Rome Convention, Geneva Conventions. Whether you're a signatory or not, um, I believe that the ICC is the only, the last um, port of call to try and seek justice. So you remember you after the Second World War, they had the Nuremberg trials. So this is the precursor to that to say mm. that there has to be a there has to be a venue where you could actually test these things out. Otherwise, you know, we just carry on with impunity. Now, you, you remember I spoke earlier on that in 2021, there was already a pre-trial docket opened. And no doubt, there is going to be a lot more evidence adding to that. Uh, you must understand, criticism is never, never easy for um, the Zionists to accept. Uh, Justice Goldberg, who was a South African entrusted with the reporting, was, you know, made a report that was against the interest of Israel. And he faced a lot of abuse for that. I mean, being Jewish himself, you see. So the thing is, 
your question is, are they, are they prevented from, or are they shielded from prosecution if they're not signatories to that? Now, I believe not, because I think the law is ever dynamic and changing. Uh, I remember that we did not have international jurisdiction until the House of Lords pronounced in uh, Pinochet's case in the late 1990s that you can never be shielded from uh, uh, crimes such as torture, etc., etc. And the House of Lords then found universal jurisdiction over Augusto Pinochet when he came for medical treatment there and his arrest and subsequent um, trial. So I think what I'm saying to you is it might be the situation now, but as, as a matter unfolds, uh, you're more likely to see uh, trials of this nature being uh, becoming more and more uh, popular. Let's wait and see, because look, in many ways, we don't have any other mechanisms. Whenever this happens, we turn to the United Nations, we give big speeches there, we condemn them. Some other nations in the Middle East say, oh, you know what, we're going to finish the Zionist state off. I mean, it's been there for so many years. <laughs> These states say they have hypersonic weapons and nuclear this and that, and that a single bullet was fired was fired from them. So you can make up your mind about the the double speak that comes from a lot of these people. Of course, the population on the ground who feel and see and, 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 and hear and react, like you and I would do, like one Ummah, you know, we feel the, the pain of the Bedouin in the desert with the thorn in his foot, and you in the city, you feel it. Allah has made it like that. You, you know, he's, he's created mercy and softness in our hearts. And in many ways, that is a fuel for now and in the future. But it should be really, Shafat, we should really be asking ourselves, how do we go back to Din al-Islam? All these other things have failed us. How do we go back to what was decreed for us in the, in the way it was decreed and how we should go back to that uh, single form of governance, uh, no nationality, no national flags, no self-interest, no my passport, your passport, um, one, one head for the for the ummah, one one person who makes that call, and that is where I think. We saw the disaster of Ataturk dismantling the Khalifat in Istanbul uh, about a hundred years ago. And, and we should actually think about that and, and see if we, if we have any real intention to, to basically to find our own ways of dealing with this uh, terrible injustice that we see. If it's not here, it'll be another place. I mean, you can count on, the, on your fingertips the places around the world where Muslims are slaughtered, Kashmir, Burma, Israel, you can, the eagles, you, you know, you can just, it's just ongoing, ad nauseum. And, you know, we sit and, and we look at this thing on our television screens and, you know, your heart cries out. And then they, the next thing that pops up is, Charity for Gaza. 
charity for this. This organization, really, I mean, we have to stop mopping up the blood of the Muslims. You know, Ashraf, uh, you make a very valid point indeed, very deep indeed. What a fruitful uh, discussion. Allah bless you for that. Time to bring back the caliphate. And, uh, you know, Allah, I mean, we've be gone uh, three minutes over time, but uh, your parting words uh, this evening, Ashraf. Always remember the blessings of Allah. Never feel despair. Never feel that we are, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't know. All of this is by his qadr. All of it by his permission. All of it is part of what we have to experience. So turn to Allah, ask for protection, peace, and ask for the return of what is real for us. Uh, can you imagine always, I say, an economy without usury? I mean, just one simple step. Can you imagine what a difference that would make? So, you know, Allah remembers and Allah hears and Allah sees. And that's all we have at this stage. Uh, and and uh, Allah is the change of conditions. But Muslims also change the conditions themselves. But that's all I have to say, Shabbat. Jazakallah khair, Ashraf. You have a blessed evening ahead. And uh, for every word that, that you've documented, may Allah reward you. Your family members too, Ashrafa, because you are a wonderful human being that I embrace and I celebrate for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Time for us to go for the Isha Azan and inshallah we will continue with the truthful news after that.